0: I trust will always protect singing hymns in harmony. You know, that is not so common anymore as people have abandoned the uh, hymn books for the overhead screen, and there is a place for an overhead screen. I'm not saying that, but uh, the hymn book has its place too because it helps uh, some. In fact, as a matter of fact, this isn't a thing to do with what I'm supposed to do this afternoon. <laughs> uh, as, as a young child, I, I was my mother was the organist at the church she had she was organist at the church for 30 years and its that sometime I was growing up and I was about junior high age about the time voices changed I hadn't had any vocal choir training too much or anything so I went out to the youth choir one night and uh, they meet on Sunday afternoon right before church and practice and I sang in the choir that night and practice and uh, when the practice was all over the choir director came to me and said, what part are you singing? (laughs) That was the commentary on my singing. But I learned to sing bass with three things. The sound of the bass line coming from the organ, the gentleman ahead of me who was a wonderful bass singer, and the notes in the hymn book. And between those three, my rather disastrous uh, voice turned into a semi-disaster. And I've sang bass all the rest of my life. So, for what it's worth, precious is the harmony in the great hymns of the faith. Turning your Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I draw your attention as we begin this afternoon. Uh, as I, When I say as I begin, it sounds like I'm going to preach for a long time, doesn't it? Well, anyway, as I begin this afternoon, to that very familiar text in 1 Corinthians that we read uh, Quite frequently when we celebrate the remembrance of our Lord's death? And it says there, And when he had given thanks, he break it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. There's the New Testament that we've talked about before in dispensational study. Uh, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Now, it's interesting when we look at Paul's recorded verses here in 1 Corinthians that he puts in this phrase in remembrance of me. Because if you look back to the gospel uh, recording of this actual event, You do not find in Matthew or Mark these words in remembrance of me, but they are in Luke. Luke recorded these words. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, when he wrote this section of scripture, chose to include these particular words in remembrance of me. It's interesting that, of course, the Holy Spirit knew that in the future of the church, now the history of the church, These verses would be quoted more in participation in the communion, observing the communion, than often even the original text in the Gospels. And so there is here this remembrance, do this in remembrance of me. Now I'd like to talk to you this afternoon for just a few minutes about this idea of remembrance. Because in my study of Hebrews, as uh, Pastor Wesco asked me to lead this devotional this afternoon... I realized that uh, the first verse of chapter 2 in Hebrews, if you turn there, Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, is a, a very fitting chapter and verse to speak about as we think about remembering Jesus, remembering the crucifixion, the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in this first verse, although it's referring to a different context here, We have five expressions of remembrance, five expressions of remembrance found in this first verse that I would like to use this afternoon to apply to communion as the Apostle Paul admonished us, do this in remembrance of me, the Lord's words. Now as you look here in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1, you find that a very rich text appears before it. In the the verses of chapter 1 that begin in particular in verse 4 and continue through the end of the chapter, the writer of Hebrews here, who we'll say is Paul for now, uh, as he wrote this, wanted to communicate the greatness of the person of Jesus Christ, that there is nothing that can excel the person of Jesus Christ. That, in fact, is a major theme of the whole book of Hebrews. Not sacrifices, not angels. There is nothing that can exceed the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the course of this chapter here, it cites several things about him. He was proclaimed God's son by the Father. He was the creator. Uh, and, And there's a tendency for people to misunderstand because in the history of the world, angels had done some mighty, mighty things. They had done some amazing things. They had done some things with fire. And so people, because they were so mighty and so amazing and invisible and appearing here and there, would sometimes be tempted to think of them as gods. And in some societies, angels were worshipped as gods. Uh, Angels are one of the most misunderstood persons in our Christian, uh, nominal Christian world. But we won't go down that road right now. But at any rate, uh, the, the emphasis of this previous chapter is that Jesus Christ is superior to the angelic realm. There is no comparison. He is the great one, the exceptional one, the unique one that is totally apart from God's creating beings, not having been created, being God himself. And so as we turn to chapter 2, we come upon this word therefore. And uh, the idea here is because Jesus Christ is so unique Above the angelic creation, and uh, by implication, as it's going to be developed later in the book, uh, above all things, He is the Son of God, He is God. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now, I want you to look at that verse closely with me because there are five expressions really embodied in five words which uh, explained the idea of remembering. Remembering, he says, when you consider how important and who Jesus Christ was, in view of that, you better, you ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Can you pick off the words? We ought to give the more earnest heed heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Did you catch those five in the emphasis? Let's look at them. We ought to give the more earnest heed. The word therefore ought is a very intense word. When we think of ought, we think of the idea, well, it's something that would be a good thing to do But it's not necessarily something that you have to do. Uh, In that that sense, the Greek word is not expressed by the English word. The Greek word has the idea that there is an inner compulsion. You ought to do it. You you feel compelled to do it by your conscience, by your inner being, by something. Something motivates you such that it is, is intolerable to think that you would not do it. It's an intense inner feeling that compels you to pursue whatever it is that is your goal. To illustrate that, I'd like you to turn to John chapter 4. I remember studying this text in the original language for the first time, and how I was impressed with this same word that appears in Hebrews 2.1, ought, in John chapter 4. If you look at John chapter 4, Is speaking of Jesus when he's going to go north, and uh, when they went north from Judah to Galilee, they would always go just a little bit north of Jerusalem and cross the Jordan River and go up the Jordan River in Gilead and then come back across at Nazareth at uh, uh, Galilee because they would not go through those wretched, filthy, dirty Samaritans, their countryside, which, we, which separated the two. But Jesus, when he was going to go north, had a different feeling about it. I wonder, let me ask you, put your thinking caps on. Let's look at chapter 4, verse 4. What words in verse 4 do you think are parallel, same Greek word, different English translation, are parallel to the word ought in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1? Now, this is very hard. What are they? Must needs. It took two English words, did it across the idea of one Greek word must needs. Jesus Christ, when he was going to go north to Galilee, he must needs. He had an inner compulsion to go through Samaria. Uh, I don't know what that inner compulsion might have been. It might have been to be a testimony to the wicked Jews who would have nothing to do with the Samaritans as opposed to having an attitude of evangelizing them. Uh, it might have been that Jesus, in the exercise of his foreknowledge under the direction of his father, because he was omniscient, but only exercised it at the direction of his father during his incarnation, that he knew there was going to be a woman at a well up there that he was going to encounter. And he must needs go that way because he, was a, he had a divine encounter, we call it, with this woman at the well. But anyway, he had an inner compulsion an inner compulsion to do what he had set before him to do, to go through Samaria. It had to be that way. And that is the idea here as we think of remembrance. It's not just a casual looking back, but it's an inner compulsion. I, I must do this because of the significance of what is being remembered here. And we, and we come before this communion table, we understand that the Lord commanded us to do this. But it's not out of the command that we do this. It's out of an inward compulsion as we contemplate our salvation and look back at what it was taking to make that come true, to make that possible. The crucifixion of our dear Lord. Give heed. Give heed is the second one. We need to pay attention. We need to pay attention to this and what it represents. Maybe the most vivid way to illustrate that is to look at the use of the word in another setting, in Acts chapter 8. Would you turn there with me for a moment? Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 is uh, actually right in line with what I was just talking about. Verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Whoa! Samaria! Ah! That's the Samaritans. Nobody goes to those wretched, wicked, dirty, unclean people. But Philip did. And there was a revival. And it intimidated the Jews to death. The the believing, the believing, actually even believing, the believing Jews. Jews and the believing Jews. To think that this new church would be reaching out to Samaritans. And that was the whole point, by the way. And we read here in verse 6, And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Where's our word there? Pretty easy this time. It's the same word. What is it? Give heed. Look at verse 10. To whom they all gave heed. From the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. <clears throat> now, that was God's plan. He, he planned that Philip, that, this, by the way, is, is an understanding of miracles in the Bible. This is this one of the things. Are, when the church, the new church, started to reach out to the heathen, the Goim, and the Samaritans, the believing Jews from Pentecost, Most of those people that got saved on the first day of the church of Pentecost isn't too long after that were Jews. The early church was all Jews. And now some were reaching out to Samaritans and to Gentiles. And there had to be some way for God to say, listen, you people, I've changed my program now. You don't put the Gentiles in the back row of the synagogue and call them proselytes. You put the Gentiles in the front and the middle and even on the platform of the church and you call them brothers And they said, boy, it's going to take the power of God to change that. And so God gave Philip the ability to work miracles. So when he told them, listen, you bring in these Samaritans as if they were your own, that they would know God said this. And then, of course, he got attention. They gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Why? Because of the miracles. Can you imagine when somebody would go out I mean, even people who go out there claim to do miracles and aren't doing anything. Or the following they get, the attention that a person would get if he went out and was really performing miracles, like Philip here, give heed, boy, he had their attention. They were they were electrified. They were motivated. They were they were attentive. They were focused. Down at verse ten, to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest. It didn't escape the attention of anybody. That's what we're talking about here when we think of our communion. When we think of the miracle that was accomplished by that shedding of blood and tearing of the flesh. You know what that miracle was? My salvation. A wretched, dirty sinner made clean by the blood of Christ. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. That God sent his son to die for me. Therefore, we ought to give heed and not only give heed, but give more earnest heed. Number three, more earnest heed. You know, the uh, word earnest, is supplied uh, in the English. The idea here is more, more heat, overabundant heed. Other translations say much closer, and for heed they use attention, much closer attention, much closer heed. We, 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 don't, we don't want to treat it just like other things that grab our attention, other things that hold our fancy, other things that direct, direct control our mind. No, it, it should be much more than anything else. Now, I, I'm not elevating the elements above being merely symbols. But there is nothing that deserves more attention and more remembrance than this in our lives. Of course, it's not this, it's what we're remembering by doing this. Nothing is more important. Nothing could be much, much, much more than the act of Christ as he gave his life for my sins. That is central. That deserves the superlative of attention of anything that ever happened, even, even including the creation of the universe. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest, the more heed, actually. Therefore, we ought to give the more heed, the more earnest heed. Trying to get the idea down of the sincerity and magnitude. That's the supply of the word earnest. Heed to the things which we have heard. Now, these have been three positive directives toward remembrance the last two of the five are negative look at this one what do you suppose it is what's the primary idea lest at any time we should let them slip what's the primary idea of that phrase say again well in the words of the verse though you're right what what are the words let them slip. Let them slip. You know, for, for those who are true believers persevering in the Lord, they don't just walk away from communion lightly. If their attitude changes about being at a service where communion is held, and they think, oh, I'll just go home this afternoon and they're just having communion." That's a slip. That's a slip. And one slip after another slip after another slip results in a departure. This is uh, quite a word. This is the only place in the English New Testament Greek where this Greek word occurs. The writer of Hebrews picked this word special for right here. A unique, a unique word to express this concept of something slipping away. Actually, the word is used not in the Bible, uh, New Testament, but it's used in the Septuagint. And, of course, we've mentioned this so many times before, but we haven't mentioned it in quite a long time. You all know what Septuagint is, right? The LXX? It's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, by the Alexandrian Jews for their children who were stopping speaking Hebrew and speaking Greek. Greek translation, the Hebrew Old Testament made about 165 B.C. in Alexandria in Africa. And in that, in that Septuagint, chapter 3 of Proverbs, verse, verse uh, 21. My son, let not them depart, slip away, from thine eyes. Keep wisdom and discretion. Don't let it slip away. Often the etymology, the etymology, that's the origins of a word, illustrate beautifully what it's teaching, not always. The determination of the meaning of a word rests in the context in which it's used. Sometimes the etymology, the derivation of the word by analyzing its parts, is the illustrative. And in this case, the root word, in terms of its literal meaning is something something that is alongside it is something that flows from alongside Uh, one way to picture it is you're in a boat and it's motorized and you're going through the water and you put something down in the water at the front of the boat and it travels alongside the boat But when it gets toward the back of the boat and the wake spreads out, that object is caught in the wake and it gradually gets further and further and further and further away. And if you're not careful, you may not even notice it's no longer alongside the boat. It just drifts casually away. That's how our understanding and respect for this can be. Becomes routine, commonplace. We have chosen our church, and this is rather traditional, historic, and Baptist churches, to celebrate communion, observe communion once a month. And part of the reason for that is that we don't want it to become commonplace, yet early believers practiced it every time they met. I suspect in a world of persecution, that believers celebrating communion every time they met would never lose its meaning or significance like it might for us who live easy lives. Comparison. So that's why we have it once a month. But so easily can the significance of it slip away. Slip away. Now we got one more to go. What do you suppose that one is, that phrase? what's left there in that last part last phrase of the verse say it no it's not that hard I'm going to make you think until you figure it out I think yeah the last phrase of verse 2 at any time we should let them slip Huh, at any time, at any time it 's been a real blessing to our family, to my wife and I to have two of our grandchildren come over uh, actually every week for an afternoon to help us with various things and they're young boys, teenage boys and uh so we, we try diligently. We're not as smart as we used to be. And as you can see, we're not as fast as we used to be. And we're not as stable as we used to be. We try to keep an eye on those boys to make sure they're becoming good workers and to be sure that they're spending their time right. But once in a while, one of them slips away. <laughs> the, the trouble is that they slip away when for a moment, I am quit looking. <laughs> and I get, we get done with the afternoon, and I think, boy, we got a lot done, and we did. And we accomplished a lot. And I said, boy's really worked hard, and kept, kept them going all the time. And my wife says, no, you didn't. They got, he was over here doing this, and he was over there doing that. They slipped away from you, because at any time, you know, we, we can lose our focus because we don't keep our eye on things all the time I remember in raising our children uh, my wife being being in church work a lot uh, at church I'd be busy about church things my wife would have to remind me you're a father there's kids around here you better keep an eye on them (laughs) because at any time one could slip away and get you into trouble at any time. you got to be vigilant. you got to keep at it. You want to take advantage of every opportunity because at any time, they could slip away. At any time, something could come into your life, some philosophy, some habit, some influence, at any time it could come into your life and cause you to slip away. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Therefore, we ought to give heed. We ought to give heed. The more earnest heed to the things which we have heard lest at any time we should let them slip away. Could there be a verse in the Bible that's any more intense than that one? Could there be a thing in the Bible that could be more important than this one that looks back on Christ's death? I suggest to you, as you share in communion today, take into mind these thoughts from verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1. Look at it again. Look at your Bible. Therefore we ought... Think of what we said about these words as I emphasize them. Therefore therefore we ought to give the heed, the more earnest heed, to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip away. Father in heaven, teach us through these words in this verse. They apply not only to the superiority of Christ, but the importance of this communion today as this we do in remembrance of you.